helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, if you're looking for advice on topics like purchasing a home or investing in your 401k, maybe you're thinking about buying the you know insurance or the right amount of insurance and the correct amount. All those are questions that everybody's looking for. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern in most households is money. This program's for you, and I'm Jim Shoemaker. I want to welcome you to today's program to talk money. My guest today is going to help us be aware of what's going on in the Mid-South as far as scams, people literally stealing your money. And so it is important for us to know that. She is a frequent guest of ours, Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau. Welcome, Nancy, to the program. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? Well, it's a wonderful day, and I appreciate so much you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. But I know that the Better Business Bureau, you're seeing an increase in fraud reports. Now, I guess I'm not surprised the pandemic, and it's kind of a a mixture. You, You kind of mix it all together, and it's a perfect time for people to be scammed. I got something just yesterday where I was, you know, looking at my handheld, my phone, and it said, your purchase has been processed for $64.15. Please click here to, you know, and I'm going, and I literally had to think, did I purchase something? Did I, what, or did my wife purchase, what was, and then I said, you know what, I don't know anything about this, delete it and go on. But that's what people are putting up with today. What are you seeing? Well, locally, from March 1st through the middle of July in 2019, we published 183 scams for a total reported loss of about $23,000, just a little more than $23,000. From March 1st to mid-July this year, we have published 289 scam reports for a total loss of $55,000. So yes, we are seeing an increase when we compare this year's scam reporting to last year's scam reporting. We're seeing a 58% increase in the number of scams reported and almost a 100% increase in the total dollars lost by consumers. So the most significant increases in scam reports compared to last year at this time frame were government imposters. And that's not surprising because, you know, there's a lot going on with the government these days. We have stimulus programs. We have the CARES Act. We have the, the pay, payroll protect, protection plan. So there's a lot of programs that were rolled out during this pandemic And so it only makes sense that the scammers are going to jump on that because, A, it's confusing. Um, This is all new to everyone, and these are new programs, and they're in the headlines, and they continue to be in the headlines. We know that there's another stimulus program coming down the pipe uh, soon, and that's going to stay in the headlines for a while. So... Scammers are using this opportunity to pose as government officials. Um, We had a 150% increase in those kinds of scams in this time period. 
cryptocurrency. We saw a 1,000% increase from last year. Employment scams, which were the number one scam in 2018 and 2019, increased 38% during this time. We know there's a lot of people looking for work. The crooks do too, and they're trying to steal your information because your information is more valuable than stealing money directly from you, taking out a a few hundred here and there. With your information, a scammer can open new accounts in your name and continue stealing from you. So it's not just a one-time thing. Wow, that's amazing. You know, this is uh, Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau of Frequent Guests. She comes in, she tells us about what we need to be sensitive here in the Mid-South when it comes to scammers and all the things that they're doing and the fact that, uh, I like the way you put it, they're crooks and uh, we have to be careful. Now, I tell me, I understand there's been some things going on here in Memphis at the university, but covid related scams. I guess I guess that's my interest here because there seems to be the momentum in that area. What are you seeing from recent COVID-related scams? Well, last week we received three reports of fake check scams that targeted Memphis area college students. And in all three cases, the scams arrived through their school email accounts. So Right off the bat, they thought, oh, well, this must be legitimate. It's coming from the university or from my college. One of the emails claimed to be uh, from a wealthy professor at another school who said he was sending deserving students $300 a week for financial help during COVID-19. The other two were job offers. One was for a social services job involving UNICEF. And the other one contained a link for a mystery shopper job application from someone claiming to work at the school where the student attends. In all three of these cases, the students accepted the offer and then were sent a hefty check and and asked to return some of the funds to the sender. Mm. That's always a red flag. Yeah, that's. Uh, I like the way you put that, the hefty check. I mean, if I'm a student and all of a sudden I get a hefty check, and we'll just leave that amount being, it doesn't make any difference, um, and then told to refund it, some of it, you have to just be sensitive to that. But I'm not so sure that I wouldn't be susceptible to something like that. A student, you well, know, trying to make ends meet, do what they can. Uh, those are Those are tough, tough ideas. I mean, obviously what you're selling us, Nancy, is... Any scammer is knowing where we are. They're not they're not amateurs. These are professionals. And so we need to be exactly. sensitive to being with that professional. What is contact tracing? I've read about that and I want to make sure that our listeners understand contact tracing. That's a big number. Well, it is. And and this is also something that's pretty new to most people. But with the COVID-19 virus, if you are exposed to it and you test positive, the Department of Health in your state is going to trace all the people you have been in contact with. So they're going to call you. They're going to discuss the results of your COVID test. They're going to ask you who you've been in contact with. And then they're going to reach out to those people and say, you've been exposed to COVID-19. You need to go have a test. 
So there are two versions of this one. It comes by text message or robocall, and it just says you have to self-isolate, you have to get tested, click here for more information. Now, let me and, let me stop you. Now. I want to make sure the first part you were talking about is legitimate. This is a true, legitimate call from the health department? Yes, okay, that so, is a legitimate call. And okay. if it is indeed from your health department, you should cooperate with them. But if you have any reason to suspect that it might not be, or you're just not sure, hang up the phone and call your health department directly. Good. And you reach out and make the contact to them. Anybody who calls you and says they're a contact tracer and ask for personal information, ask for a payment, ask about your immigration status, that's a scam. Mm. A contact tracer is going to have enough information about you already to call you or text you. So they're going to know your name. They're going to know your phone number because they've gotten that from the person you were in contact with. And a contact tracer is not going to tell you who tested positive that you were in contact with. They can't say your niece April had a, a positive test for COVID because that information is protected by HIPAA laws. So if they tell you the name of the person who supposedly tested positive, again, that's a scam because they cannot release that information. Well, Nancy, I mean, the thought is it said something about a text message where they send you a text message and you've been in contact and they say, click here for more information. You know, I if I went and had been tested or I just got information that says this is from your health department and it says click here for more information. You know, if I'm in a hurry, I might just accidentally, not accidentally, I just might click here. And that's when you exactly. tell me I made a mistake. And, and like the text message you described that you got that said, you know, we processed your order for $64, they want you to click on that link because they can download some malware to your device and then search through your device for strings of numbers that might be account numbers, passwords, uh, social security numbers, any information that they can use on the dark web to steal your identity. Wow, I haven't heard it called the dark web. That's like dark Vader, you know, or dark. <laughs> All right. It is. Yeah, it's got to, you know, you just got to realize that is that there's that underground mentality of stealing if they can. And I appreciate the fact that we need to be sensitive. All right, Nancy, with all that mindset, Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau, she's talking about crooks that do everything they can to take money from you because sometimes we're just not paying attention or we're just we're busy. We're, we, our handheld tells us something. We automatically do it. I'm guilty of that. So if that's going to happen, tell me how to protect myself during the pandemic and in the future. Well, one of the best ways you can protect yourself against fraud is to get a free copy of your credit report. Now, the government made this available to us several years back, and you get one free copy every year from each of the three reporting agencies, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. But right now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, and through April 2021, you can pull your credit report 
weekly for free. So they know the the Federal Trade Commission has said, you know, we know these scammers are out there. They're organized crime rings. They're very good at what they do. They are professional stealers of your money. And so we're going to allow Americans to pull that credit report once a week during this pandemic. Now, why do you want to do that? A, you want to look and see if there are any accounts that you did not open. Challenge those accounts with the credit reporting agency that has that on your credit report. But also, the CARES Act offers forbearance to people who are struggling to pay certain federally-backed mortgage and student loans because of this pandemic. And some lenders on credit cards and other loans may also offer alternative payment arrangements during this time. So in these cases, those loans should be reported as current. So checking your credit report will help you to identify whether or not they are reporting those loans correctly. They should only be reporting your account as delinquent if it was delinquent before the pandemic. So back in January, February, if you were behind on some payments and that was being reported as delinquent and you still haven't caught up, then that could be reported at that time. But right now, if you're getting forbearance or some type of um, program from your account holder, then that should be reported as current. So you want to go to annualcreditreport.com and pull your free credit report, or you can call them at 877-322-8228. And remember that when you pull your credit report, you're not going to get that three-digit credit score number. You do have to pay if you want to see that. However... A lot of the credit card companies are giving you that information for free. Um, I have a Discover card, and they give me my credit score every month. So check with your credit holders now and see if they offer that free service. Well, that's the key. You're telling us to be proactive, and that's important. Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau. If you'd like to talk to Nancy. Nancy, can I give out your number, this 827 number? Sure. 827-6128. 827-6128. Or just simply go to www.bbb.org if you just want some more information. Nancy, it is always a pleasure. I know you've got a busy schedule today. I know you've got a lot of things going on. Thank you so much for being a part of today's program. And we'll have you back because I just think it's so important that our listeners know not everything you get on your handheld is safe. You need to be proactive, and that's what you're telling us. Exactly. Thank you, lady. Have a wonderful day. Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau. She is always a pleasure to have on the air. She helps us out, teaches us a lot of information, and it's good to have her with us today. I'm going to, I think there's a couple of things just to add to what she was talking about. If it's an unsolicited offer, Beware of any of that, especially when it includes a check. That's always important. Don't engage with a scammer. That's critical for you. Do research. I think she would always tell us this. Knowledge is power and never, 
never send money to strangers. That's just a fact. That's Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau. Well, my next guest is going to talk about what's happening in the group health plans due to COVID-19. A frequent guest of ours does a wonderful job of communicating to us what's happening in the healthcare industry. And I tell you, it is a lot of stuff going on. I got a little statistic here that Somebody sent me, in fact, it's from the American Hospital Association. Ready for this? From March the 1st through June the 30th, American hospitals have lost $51 billion, that's with a B, billion per month of revenue to canceled or foregone and foregone medical services. That's a lot of money. Welcome to the program, Shannon Dyson, sir. Good to have you. Thanks for having me back, Jim. Appreciate it. You know, what do you think about that? $51 billion for three each month. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Uh, and, and it just tells me that uh, maybe some of those things that haven't been done, uh, surgeries, things have been put off, maybe they're coming when we get through this through this pandemic. But I wanted to say one thing I've been sitting here. Um, and I'm feeling a little bit discouraged with myself because you mentioned, Nancy was on, you mentioned about the $64 email you got that said you had a purchase, click on the link. I got the same email. Same email? Yeah, and I clicked it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I just felt I needed to, to just confess that <laughs> so, so, um, uh, <laughs> I, I clicked I the like email. I like it, and that's good. I have so. kids at home that buy Amazon, and, and I wanted to see what they had purchased, didn't think about it, clicked that link, and... You know, I knew immediately that immediately I shouldn't have clicked it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's so, but you're, see, that's just, boy, I'm glad one of us is smart in this room. Hey, I like it. Hey, yeah. that elevated me quite a bit this morning. <laughs> I like it. Yep. No, but isn't it so easy? It is. It is it so is. easy. Out, out and about, just not even thinking. I was, I that's think I was exactly at Kroger I, or something like that. I was waiting in line, looked at it, said, I wonder what, wonder what it, one of them bought today. Well, that's what I asked Linda. On it. If Linda hadn't been there. When it, came, when it came up. Now, what I should have known was the email did not say what it normally would if it was Amazon. It said something what, different. But once I clicked on it, I just forgot, you know, what I what so I. So who owns on. your so, phone today? So you are you are smarter than me. <laughs> hey, can I write that down? You can. Let's get that yeah, down. Can, All right. Absolutely. Well, you're smarter when it comes to talking about group health. And there are so many things changing because of COVID-19. And I want our listeners to get this because... This is important, folks. There's some major changes and things that you need to be sensitive. Start right off, Shannon, with eligibility and group health insurance. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of things were uh, implemented with the, the CARES Act that allowed employers to be a little more flexible uh, with employees. A lot of employers had to either lay off or furlough employees. And so one of the things that uh, as if you're an empl- employer and you're bringing employees back on, uh, let's say you furloughed an employee and you're bringing that same employee back on, uh, you need to make sure that your plan documents uh, are in line with what you're doing. So most of the time with a new employee, uh, there's a waiting period. So that employee comes on, they have to wait 30 or 60 days before their insurance starts. Uh, if you furloughed an employee that already had insurance with you and you bring them back on, you don't want them to have to wait that 30 or 60 days. So there were some provisions that you made during that time to make sure that that was not the case. Uh, you need to make sure that you go back now and change that because any new hire that you bring on, you do you still want to have the waiting periods because that encourages people to stay with you and so forth and so on. But making those changes back again so that you're in compliance. Could you end up having an p- employee that was furloughed who you came back on and somehow made the mistake of extending? 
what would happen in case they have a major claim? Is that a possibility of not being covered? Yeah, the problem with that is if you don't have a what's called a rehire provision in your plan. So let's just say you do not have a rehire provision. You furlough that employee, you bring them back on, and they have now a 30-day waiting period just like any new hire to and get they don't health know insurance. That. And they didn't know that, and they have a claim during that time. That could pose a problem, absolutely. All right, that's the number one sensitivity thing there. Be sensitive to that eligibility. If you're the employer or the employee and you've been furloughed and you're right. coming back on to work, you know. Yeah, it, just make sure that, you're, you, that you know if you, if you have a, a, a contact at your insurance carrier or your broker, call somebody that says, hey, what is my waiting period for new, new uh, enrollees or new employees and have the, did that change throughout this COVID-19 period? Makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Flexible spending accounts. That's uh, been some movement there, and especially with over-the-counter medical yeah. prescriptions. Uh, talk about that. So a couple things on flexible spending accounts. You'll hear them referred to as FSAs. Uh, they Typically, you can only make a plan election or an, a deduction election at the beginning of a year. And so what the, I, the IRS says, if you want to have $100 per month taken out of your flexible spending account to pay for approved charges, you can do that. But you can't change mid-year how much you're taking out of your check to fund your flexible spending account. Uh, what they've said today in the CARES Act uh, basically said that they will allow mid-year changes. So if you need more of your money in your pocket, you can make a mid-year change now and not have that $100 a month taken out of your paycheck, which is a big deal for both FSAs and health savings account, HSAs. Uh, and even bigger deals, what you mentioned, uh, Jim, for over-the-counter medications. Uh, before the CARES Act was passed this year, you could not use your FSA or your HSA to buy over-the-counter medications without a, without a prescription. So Advil, Tylenol, Sudafed, whatever you needed. Uh, if you wanted to use your FSA or your HSA, you had to get a prescription first. Uh, they've waived that requirement. So now you can actually use your FSA, your HSA dollars that you already have, uh, for over-the-counter meds, and you don't need a prescription for that. We're talking with Shannon Dyson, and view this is a wealth of knowledge that so many times it gets uh, caught up, and you get into the the murk and the mire and, and the understanding it. So, I mean, having Shannon, and you do a great job, Shannon, but you're talking about specifics, whether it's eligibility, and now the flexible spending accounts, medical product, you know, buying a, a medical prescription, you know, something that's non over-the-counter, in other words, non, uh, you don't have to have a prescription to get it. You can now, as you're saying, you can use your HSA or your SFSA. You got are, it. You know, hey, I can, I can <laughs> handle it. the phone, but I can't remember HSA and FSA. Yeah, but, but you can use that money now to, to buy those over-the-counter drugs without having to take the time or the risk of going into your doctor's office and get that prescription for it. I talk to a lot of people, Shannon, that, that fear going into the not fear their doctor but fear going into a medical office sure. and so they may be putting something off and some prescriptions you can get of course the doctor will renew some he says no i have to see you and sure. i totally get that mm -hmm. and i can see a lot of people say look i'll just not take it right now which is dangerous well and and so for these over-the-counter meds uh it, it is an extra burden you know if you you have this hsa that you have money and you've put in pre-tax you'd like to be able to use it to buy whatever you need whether it be over-the-counter or or regular prescriptions uh, and so what this flexibility allows is you don't have to go into the doctor's office to get them to write you a prescription for 
Tylenol so that you can go use your HSA dollars for it. So it just gets rid of that requirement and makes it easier for you to do that. Well, that's critical. When I come back, we're going to take a break just to take a pause here for a second. But when we come back, I want you to talk about paid leave because so many people, that's a struggle for some people because they are in that, they're in that environment right now and what happens. So I want you to go through the whole idea of coordination of their, their leave benefits and how they can be communicated, what they need to know and how they want to understand. If you just tuned in, my guest is Shannon Dyson. We're talking about what's happened as far as group health plans and COVID-19. He's going to come back and talk about paid leave and a couple of additional things that expanded use of your HSAs. We want to make sure we cover that. But coming up in the latter part of the program, I've got, uh, you know, not along Shannon, but I've got Scott Jordan who's going to go, go through some things you don't want to miss. It's avoiding some common estate planning mistakes. Now, I know the word estate planning says, ah, that's too big for me. No, this is some mistakes you absolutely do not want to miss. That's Scott Jordan coming up. We'll be back in just a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Secure and Financial Services are affiliated with Nancy Crawford Butcher or the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-South. The views and opinions expressed are those of Nancy Crawford Butcher only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Secure and Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. We are talking with Shannon Dyson. We're talking with uh, about the group health plans and what's changed with COVID-19. We've talked about eligibility, the flexible spending accounts. And I asked him before we went on break that we wanted to talk about paid leave and some of the things that families need to understand, employees understand the eligibility requirements, that uh, this whole idea behind paid leave and how they can provide them with some kind of, a, that the employer needs to provide them. So, Shannon, I, I kind of want to make sure that everybody understands paid leave is not just paid leave. There's some things they got to understand about it. Yeah, so FMLA has been around for a long time, Family Medical Leave Act. Um, and those, those, some of those rules and regulations have been changed due to the CARES Act. One of the things that uh, was changed was that employees were given 80 hours of pay for any, to step away anything COVID-related. Uh, and so just making sure that you address your current company PTO policies, you know, when, when employees are getting paid for different things, we need to make sure that maybe we should adjust some PTO that we're, that we're currently using um, and making sure that it's coinciding with the new rules and regulations around FMLA. So just making sure that you're addressing that. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Just um, not just thinking it's an automatic. What about the HSA? I know there's a lot of changes and things are moving through and, and all positive. Yeah. In the HSA. Yeah, we, we mentioned the uh, over-the-counter medication, so HSAs can be used for that without a prescription. Uh, the other thing is that most of the, t- or not most of the time, all of the time, uh, when you have an HSA plan uh, that is HSA compatible, uh, it means that you have to pay all of your medical expenses until you reach your deductible. That's just a rule that the IRS set that said if you're going to have a health savings account, your plan, you have to meet the deductible before you get any help. Uh, from the insurance company. And what now with with the CARES Act, what they're saying is that 
uh, if you have telemedicine or you need to have a, a virtual visit, uh, that the insurance company can actually pay for or your, your high deductible health plan can actually pay for that visit uh, without you having to pay anything or meet your deductible first and you don't lose your privileges on the HSA. So again, a big deal giving you first dollar coverage when you normally would not have that. Timmy, I know that that's first dollar coverage. I can get a over-the-counter drug now with that. Cobra, what's going on with Cobra? So with Cobra, Cobra is, is what you can continue as an employee when you leave your employer. So if your employer has 20 or more employees, uh, you will be offered Cobra when you leave employment. And that means that you're paying the premium that your employer is paying. So typically it's fairly expensive. Uh, and so during COVID, in, in the state of emergency that we have been declared in, uh, people that are currently on COBRA no longer have to pay their premiums if they cannot pay them. Um, if you are uh, new to being terminated uh, and you have typically you have 60 days to elect COBRA, uh, your election period is extended for the entire time that we are in this state of emergency until 60 days after the state of emergency is ended. Uh, so if you were to be terminated today uh, and you get a COBRA notification uh, and you get it, let's say you get it August the 14th, uh, you have between August the 14th and two months after the state of emergency is lifted, which we don't know when that's going to happen, to elect COBRA. Uh, and so that's giving uh, you plenty of time to make that decision and not pay the normal COBRA premiums in, during that time. But now, if I'm not paying the premiums, yep. am I still covered? So technically, you're still covered because at any time you can say, yes, I want to elect coverage uh, and that that uh, coverage date is backdated all the way to the date that you left employment. So uh, you have, and so not many people are going to elect that coverage later on if they don't have some of sort of, of major uh, thing happen to them. So uh, that that's something I think we need to keep our eye on just to see how that how that pans out. That's a that's a great thought. There's a lot of information there from eligibility to knowing what to do about COBRA, Shannon Dyson. Shannon, they can reach you at 757-5757. Just simply ask for Shannon Dyson. Bottom line is a lot of information. But Scott Jordan is now going to talk about some estate strategies about really avoiding some common mistakes. Now, Now, Scott, I've got to ask you the question because Shannon felt the need to confess and I <laughs> like that I think he he had to step into the circle and say I clicked on that I mean you know Nancy Crawford helped us out and I love that come on Scott yep. what did did you click on the, I, click the link? I haven't clicked on one recently <laughs> Re- but recently. I, I can't say that I have never clicked on define one. recently I, let, me, let me just say this I have had a computer rebuilt in the last two years that's all I'll say <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Enough said. Well, guys, that all happens to us, but I appreciate Nancy Crawford helping us out. And, and Shannon, you did a great job at really bringing us up to speed with what's going on with COVID-19 and the idea behind our health insurance and the fact that COBRA, that was a great comment on COBRA. But here's what I need from you now, Scott. This is a subject that so many people think that, well, you say estate plan, I don't have an estate, so I don't need it. But that's not true, is it? I think that's a huge misconception. You know, with our relationships with insurance companies, I've been able to reach out to some of the actuaries and confirm this. But 
Uh, in the United States, now I don't have international data, but in the United States, mortality rate is still 100%. 100%. You know, uh, and, and that has been confirmed. But no, all, all joking aside, all joking aside, everybody's going to die at some point, and everybody has some stuff. So maybe we don't call it a state plan. Maybe we call it a who's going to get my stuff plan. But, you know, everybody has a plan by design or by default, right? You either you either make plans for who's going to get your stuff and how that's going to transfer, or the state you live in decides for you. That's called dying intestate. So everybody has a plan, and everybody's going to need a plan. So I, I think when we use that word estate plan, like you said, people get that misconception of a, of a huge, huge, massive pile of wealth. And some people do have that, but most, most of us still need to plan for who's going to get our stuff. Because literally what we've noticed in, our, in, pra- in the practice is that people may not feel like they have a lot of things that they want to transfer, but there's always that family member that says, why didn't mom give me that? Exactly, exactly. And that's that's where having that plan, getting those documents in place, you know, we always suggest people get the big ones, the will, the powers of attorneys, and the uh, living uh, living will or health care directives. Those are, those are the big ones that I think everybody needs, the power of attorney, of course, for both financial and health care. And uh, that can relieve a lot of emotional distress on the survivors and, and stop a lot of sibling rivalry or, or family fighting when that time does come. You talk about assets or list of assets. Talk about what you recommend as far as some of the things. I mean, bank records, obviously, tax return, deeds. Um, but what other uh, items? I mean, today there's so much going on about that. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, you, you're saying that's important because having that somewhere where it can be found by, by the people who need to find it, you know, a list of all the assets, a list of all insurance policies, a list of bank accounts, retirement accounts, where all that stuff can be located. But here's, here's a big one. Um, the, uh, the big one that nobody thinks about are usernames and passwords. You know, a lot of our life is lived online now, whether that's through social media, online bank accounts. And I think it's incredibly important to have somewhere written down in a safe place those usernames and passwords where family members or, um, or heirs can locate that and be able to, you know, think about it. Do you want your, your social media sites living on in infamy? They could be hacked. Anything could happen. So you may want those to be able to be shut down and have somebody We've had people to that. tell us, and I, and I so much appreciate this, and that they've got it put into either they have it on one or two sheets or they've gotten, we've given them some forms to right. help them put it all together, or they've got it in folders, right. you know, or notebooks, whatever the place that you feel comfortable with. You can either put it on a computer spreadsheet and right. then work it from there, or make sure that it's in. A, I have mine in some folders, and, yeah. and I have yeah. some, my, some of my stuff in some notebooks. But everybody in my family knows they're located where they are. Right. And so it's a matter of making sure you've put accessible information for your heirs. Knowing where they know where how to access it, absolutely. It's, so it's they easy can to get they can find. I like the fact that you mentioned online passwords. That is so important. That's critical. That's critical. All right, let me ask you this. Now, I think sometimes people forget. Uh, we've seen this where they have failed to update the beneficiary designation. It's on their group health insurance. Their their life. They bought life insurance. And maybe it's a, a term policy they bought. And they, they have it, uh, mom and dad, it, 
is my beneficiary. Mom and dad's been dead 20 years. Exactly. And they've been exactly. married. That's got to be changed. Well, and that's and you bring up a good point because, and, and some people have the misconception that their will will dictate who gets their life insurance or retirement act, act retirement assets. And, and that can be the case if they're named to the estate. But in most cases, an individual is named on those. And it's important to not only make sure you have the right individual named on that, but make sure that's coordinated with your other estate plans so that, that everything is, is passing on the way you want it to pass on. Now, you kind of mentioned that if your will is directed something and you've got a beneficiary designation that doesn't coincide with it, Give me an example because, I mean, it, it's kind of like, well, if the estate, if, you're, if your life insurance policy says I leave it to my estate, then the will will direct The will it. will dictate But it if it's point. to a beneficiary, that's the rule. That, that rules. That overrules the will or any trust that's set up for that matter. So if you have a beneficiary designated, and, and for most people it's a 401K plan, that's a big one. You know, a lot of assets are tied up in the 401K, and, and maybe – um, I've seen this happen. Uh, there's an ex-spouse still named as. I was going to ask about that. If you've got the ex-spouse, what happens there? That's that money's going to go to the ex-spouse. Um, that's well, that you know, can create a major it, problem. It absolutely can. Absolutely can. So it's important to 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 name the right people that you want named, and also to review that periodically and make sure that that still aligns with your other estate plans. Let me say this to everybody listening. So often you think that. Um, well, the person that's doing this is, uh, you know, they're, they're very sophisticated. And, you know, we've had clients that have come in that are executives doing extremely well, ex- very successful, and they're intestate. Now, the word intestate literally means they don't have a will. Right. And the spouse thinks they have a will. Right. And you start asking these questions, and it's like, uh, you know, oh, I didn't realize I needed it. Everything's going to hurt. And it may not go to her. In fact, if there is no will and there is children involved, the children are going to get part of this estate. They absolutely are. In the state of Tennessee, and again, that's a state-by-state dictates how that property would pass, but state of Tennessee, the spouse would get a third or a child share, whichever is greater, and the children would get the rest. And that may not be what was intended. Maybe that money is needed for the spouse. Now, again, that's not going to include any jointly held property or, or property that has a beneficiary designation, it's only that property that will be probated and go through the probate well, process. But, but there's no estate. But you, can, you can end up leaving stuff, A, to children when you didn't want to, and, and maybe the spouse doesn't have enough assets then to care for herself. Well, we had a case, and I think this is important to talk about, that literally the husband owned the house outright, married, and never transferred her into the title, so they didn't own it jointly. At the time of his death, she thought, well, the house is mine. No, the house now was being split up between her and the kids, and the kids didn't want to keep the house. That's that's probably the one I've seen the most often. It got into a problem. It can. It can. And and, and a lot of times that's unintended. Um, Either we just didn't get around to doing it or didn't understand the way the law works and understand that, you know, that that's not, you know, unless you have a will that directs that property to the spouse, then she's not going to be able to get the whole. I'm talking about cases that we got called into to try to work it out, too. And there's a second case that I want to make sure that everybody hears this, because we think about it. We have cases that that kind of literally we look at and say, this is so big of a problem, but it's so easy to avoid. Right. Again, when the kids determine that they want to sell the house and she has to go to court right. and to fight it so she can stay in the house, well, 
They said, well, we want the money for the house, so you pay. And the judge just finally, literally, the judge says, sorry, guys. You know, your dad, in this case, said, uh, nope, this is how the woman's going to be taken care of. This is my wife. And the, the judge threw it out. But it was a two or $3,000 yeah. litigation. I mean, that's a mess. And relationships are destroyed. Destroyed. on the process. Yeah, so. absolutely. We have prepared a white paper called Estate Strategies, Critical Elements for an Estate Plan. If you would like a copy of that, just simply go find it. You can find it on our Facebook pages. Go to Shoemaker Financial and uh, search for the document that I just mentioned. It's in our post, Estate Tra- Strategies, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan. All you have to do then at that point is download it to a PDF to print it, or if you want to just review it, download it to the PF, PDF and review it. What about this, Scott? So many people, I can remember we worked with one client that had a lot of different real estate and things, and you know the titles didn't coincide with his estate plan. You have to make sure that how you title the property coincides. That's critical. Absolutely. Because, again, property passes by will, by contract, or by law, by will, by contract, beneficiary designation, or operational law, how it's titled. So in the case of joint property, that property is not going to go through the probate process. It's going to pass to the the joint owner if it's joint with rights of survivorship. And, you know, I've seen cases where there's, there's unintended consequences around this. For example, uh, we've had people who get to a certain age and they want to add a child on, say, some bank accounts as a joint owner so that the child can help them with uh, you know, financial obligations and things of that nature. Well, when, when that person dies, that property is going to transfer to that joint owner, whereas they may intend for that to be split amongst all the children. Now, that joint owner could do the right thing and share it, but they or don't necessarily have, have to. to do, or right? she doesn't have to do the right thing. So getting that property titled correctly is extremely important, and just understanding that law and how that works. Now, that can be used to your benefit as well, especially in large estates for estate planning and tax purposes. Titling that property can have some benefits to it. So there's, a, there's pros and cons to both sides. Well, I think what we're saying, and, and, and Scott, you're a certified financial planner. I'm a certified financial planner. The reality is when you get into this, we always say to you, go get good legal advice. Absolutely. Don't think about doing this yourself. Make sure you're spending the time and the energy. And if you don't have an attorney, give us a call. We'll give you a couple of names, three or four names, to help you go through this. This is something for anybody, whether you have a small estate or a multi-million dollar estate, don't think it's not important. It's important to keep the family, as you said, talking to each other. Absolutely. And to make sure what's going on, you want it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of people want to uh, avoid working with an attorney because of the expense and everything else. But I, I think that having somebody to think through all the possibilities with you is, is worth whatever the cost is. I think it's important because they, they deal with this every day. Every they, day. They've seen a lot of situations and they're going to bring up stuff that that maybe you wouldn't think of on, on your own. Well, one of the reasons why we wanted to approach this from our standpoint, from a planning perspective, is this is just basic fundamental planning. It is. A lot of times when you start this process, it's bringing in the attorney to put it together. But we look at it as being a way to guide a client in through this process to keep it from being so intimidating because it can be. And I like the word you just use process. It it is a process. It's not usually a one and done thing. It's a process that that you have to work through. Life changes. Life happens. You know, things change. Um, and it's important to, to work through this on an ongoing basis and review it periodically. Well, let me ask sure. you this, because I think there's so many 
parts to this. And again, we're trying to go through that. And I want to remind you, you can get the PDF. Just simply go to our Facebook page and look for it. This It's posted there. Estate Strategies, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan. Estate Strategies, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan. Scott, so many times people forget there's a lot of people involved in some sure. cases, like the executor. What are some of these appropriate, let's use that word, fiduciaries? Yeah, so so fiduciary is somebody that is that is going to act on your behalf, right? That, that'd be like an example would be your executor or personal representative is going to settle the estate and, and do the things you put in your will. Your, now, again, I'm gone. I see if it's, you're talking you're about gone. my estate. You're I'm gone, gone so gone. I've got to appoint somebody to settle my estate. So, yeah, again, example would be the executor, personal representative, a trustee. If there's a trust involved, there may be in a trustee, either an individual or a corporate trustee that's going to act on your behalf, or a guardian. That's a big one, a guardian that would take care of minor children. That's something that... That's one of the, the most critical reasons for young couples to sit down with an attorney and get a will drawn up is so they can properly name the guardian that they want for their minor children. Um, you know, if you don't decide that, the, the state of Tennessee, the state that you live in is going to decide for you. So it's important to have that. I that can remember out. my first experience of watching two sets of grandparents yeah. in the court yep. argue arguing over with the kids yeah. in the courtroom. Not a pleasant sight. It's not. It's not. And, and and when you're thinking about these fiduciaries, be it a guardian, a trustee, or executor, it's important to really think through. It's an important decision. So it's important to think through the qualifications of the person because this can be a very complex role. There's a lot that these people have to deal with, whether it's the executor selling, selling your estate or a trustee managing a trust. There's a certain amount of knowledge and, and complexity that can go along with that. So it's and a lot of times people feel obligated for whatever reason to name a certain person, but it's it's really critical to think through that whether that's a, whether you're naming a corporation or you're naming an individual from the family, a child, you know, to think that who is the person that has the skills to to do what you're asking them to do. And then of course I think people need to realize that they can always hire somebody to sure. help them. Yep. They don't have to feel obligated to shoulder this total responsibility by themselves. Right. If they're named as a trustee or if they're named as a, a guardian, they can get help. They, they can, can have somebody can. to come alongside. Absolutely. Them. That's important. What about failing to consider the um, incapacity of the of the estate owner, the person who is planning all this, doing the estate planning, and they're incapacitated? And this kind of goes back, to, you know, when I said, you know, the power of attorneys, having those important. This, this is a critical reason to sit down and get these documents done. A lot of people don't realize that you take, for example, a married couple. Just because you're married doesn't necessarily give you the right to act on the other's behalf. Now, again, for joint bank accounts and things that are titled jointly, it's not an issue. But you may not be able to access assets that your name is not on without those legal documents, power of attorney, you know, healthcare, making health care decisions. Just because you're someone's spouse or, or parent doesn't necessarily give you the right to make health care decisions on their behalf. You know, so. next week I'm going to talk about college planning. Yeah. And so what I'm thinking about what you're saying is here's that student that's going to the school, he hoped this fall. Right. And he's 19, 20, she's 19, 20, 30, you know, whatever age they are in school. And they're still dependents as far right. as mom and dad is concerned. They have their own checking account, you know, and they're doing fine. And they get into a car accident or they whatever. They got to make a health decision without that health care provision right. of power of attorney. Mom and dad are kind of in trouble. Right. You so know, is that student. 
Yeah. So that's that's where I think it's important to have that power of attorney for for the college students should name, you know, if their parents are the ones they trust, name a power of attorney to make those decisions for them. I mean, could be accessing things at school that they need taken care of or possibly, you know, their bank account to make bills payments on their behalf, whatever it is, just because you're the parent doesn't give you the right to make those decisions when you're dealing with an adult child. Wow, that's so important. And of course, you would always say, review it and update it. Absolutely. All right. Scott Jordan, he, uh, if you'd like to talk to Scott, you can call him at 757-5757. Don't forget, we've got a PDF for you, State Strategies. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest, Nancy Crawford from the Mid-South Better Business Bureau, Shannon Dyson and Scott Jordan. You can talk to them simply by giving them a call at 757-5757. If you'd like to talk to Nancy, it's 757-8627. To find a copy of today's PDF that I mentioned earlier, the estate strategies, critical elements of an estate plan, just simply go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page and search for that document It's in our post, and boy, I think you'll find it to be interesting. You can review it, or if you'd like to print it out, feel free to do so. My guest next week is Karen Vogelsing with Arise to Read. Now, this is a partnership, a community partnership. You don't want to miss this. She talks about helping second graders in our city learn how to read. Also with me, Michael Powell will be talking about paying for that college education. And again next week, Scott Jordan is going to talk about what is the threat to identity theft. He's got pretty good at that. He had to rebuild a computer, so he can tell us about that. That's Saturday, next Saturday, 10 a.m., right here on KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. 